Hello and welcome to Create, Talk, Repeat. My name is Dustin Brenton. On today's podcast, I spoke with Kimberly Hoffman, a children's author and a wonderfully creative person that has some great insights into the world of writing children's literature. We also discussed how she was inspired to write a book by a spider who joined her dance class. But before we get to that interview, here's a word from our sponsor. Stay tuned. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, visit anchor.fm. It's a great way to build your own podcast and get paid while doing it. That's anchor.fm. Back to the show. Hello, and today on Create Talk Repeat, we have Kimberly Hoffman. Kimberly, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, Kimberly, I've known Kimberly for a while. She's a friend of mine and one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, and <laughs> she is also a, uh, uh, she does a lot of creative things. Um, I, I'm, I want to talk to her today about her, uh, her children's books, but um, I don't like putting words into people's mouths. So I always ask, what do you create? So for me, of course I do, I write children's books and I love creating the stories that go with these books because it's putting together different worlds and different things that are imaginary because for children you are not just creating a like a fictional story you are a lot of times going into things that are not really real like mm -hmm. having talking animals or you know things like that and so it really is fun like i have one with spider who owns a bakery and you know it's so you get to go into things that are not your normal everyday thing but i create so much more than that because i see myself as a diversely creative person uh, i write children's books i create unique jewelry i dance i like to arrange flowers i like to create beauty for other people to enjoy mm -hmm. the stories though are probably one of my favorite things because to be able to see children listen to the stories and hear them laugh or think or learn because of them just really is amazing. How many uh, how many children's books do you have you written? Uh, so far I have eight that have been published. I have a ninth one that's waiting on illustration. That's awesome. I, I only know of like three or four. I didn't know you had that many. That's, <laughs> that's impressive. How long have you been, have you, have you been writing? Um, I've been writing since uh, 2016. Well, really, that's when my first book was published. So I've been writing for a couple years before that. I always enjoyed writing in high school. And when the teacher would assign a paper, I would get super excited, which is like really silly. But if they would say like, your grade's gonna be based on a paper, I would get so much more excited than a test because mm -hmm. I could be creative. I knew I could get an A if I got to write, but yet I never made the connection that that like having that um, love of writing, even to the point of give it to me for an assignment, that that could transfer into a career. I never looked at it that way. I always looked at it, you know, just as, oh, this is fun. I get to write a paper. And it didn't really come about that I said I wanted to write until I started following my husband around. Um, my husband, Paul, is also an author, and he wrote one book before i ever wrote one and i got to follow him around to conferences and when he was giving talks and things and i just started learning a lot more about how to write better how how things sound 
And then I decided to, and then all of a sudden I got an idea one day to write a story. And it took me two years to get it to where it was publishable, but but it was a lot of fun just going through the process. And was was the first one the uh, the spider book? Yes, it's called Emma's Dancing Day. It still actually is one of my best sellers, mm. and I think it's because so many people name their child Emma, and also so many children dance, take dance lessons, and so yeah. that one is one of my my popular ones. But yeah, that one came about because I went to ballet class. And I was stretching at the bar and a spider dropped off the bar in front of my face. And yikes. yeah, yikes. <laughs> and I'm, I couldn't move. And I was thinking, okay, what do I do now? But then on the drive home, when I was going through it in my mind, my mind shifted it from, well, that wasn't fun to, well, what if the spider wanted to learn how to dance? Yeah. And as soon as that hit my brain, the story started coming and I was able to sit down and, and start writing this book. And that's the way a lot of my stories come. It's just a little tiny spark that happens and one little idea, and it just kind of blossoms from there. I have two books that I got the ideas from during a meeting at work because one came from, I saw a pie chart and I said, oh, what if spiders baked pies? And yeah, the whole book started coming during the meeting and I'm like, no, I'm taking notes. This isn't, I can't do this. But um, I got enough that I worked it out. And then another one came because I was, um, in order to concentrate better, a lot of times I will doodle. And I drew a hashtag and then I colored it in, the center in, and I was like, I counted it and I was like, oh my goodness, it has eight legs. Oh, it's a square spider. And I got a whole entire book from a square spider just from coloring in a hashtag. So it's just kind of cool the way that happens. And what, what exactly goes into a, a spider pie? I assume it's like flies and other oh, insects. No, and... they <laughs> eat pies like we eat. So oh, oh, no, blueberry they, spider pies. Yes, and... there's, um, let's see, there was a grasshopper pie, but it's actually a regular grasshopper pie, not a pie made of grasshoppers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no bugs are injured in the telling of my stories. So in fact, I have one that actually has peril in it. Um, Pete the Brave has peril and but no one dies and everyone is, makes it out alive. So it's okay. I, I try not to get, that one goes pretty intense, but I try not to make them too dark because they are for children. I was gonna, I was gonna ask, what's the uh, age range that you usually feel like you're writing for? Uh, usually I think my age range is probably about anywhere from maybe four or five all the way up through probably third grade. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of my books will uh, go farther than that. The Cleo and Roger series, which there's Cleo and Roger Discover Columbus, Indiana, and Cleo and Roger Discover the Art of Columbus, Indiana. It's a sequel. Mm -hmm. That one you could probably do with, I would say anyone grade school level would probably enjoy that one because it's more of an adventure book. It's longer. You can follow the their path of where they go. Then I have one more that is more for anyone from kindergarten through middle school, and that's called Love Hope. And that one I wrote during the pandemic, and it is letters back and forth from the main character's friends to her and then her writing them back. And that one is helps children talk about their emotions during the pandemic because we all experienced overwhelming emotions during that time. I had a hard time figuring out what to do with mine. And I thought, wonder what kids are doing because they don't have the same toolbox of resources that we have. 
So that one is kind of a conversation starter so that parents can sit with their kids and just read like one letter at a time and say, well, what, how did you feel about that? How did that make you feel? Did you experience the same feelings? So that when, one age range is a little different. When you're when you're writing these books and cut up the stories, do you do you think about what the like what the moral is going to be, what the purpose is? Like, is there or does that come first? And I mean, I know you said you came up with the idea of the spider dance class. I'm like, okay, well, but why would a spider be a dance class? And what you know, is there is there usually a lesson at the end of it, or is it just kind of a spider dance and that's fun? Most of them do have a lesson. Uh, the only ones that don't would be the Cleo and Roger books because they're just about architecture appreciation and art appreciation. All the rest do have a moral to them or a teaching to them. However, I don't always know that at the beginning, which is kind of unusual. In fact, sometimes I discover it as I write and I will actually, I've actually broke down and cried in the middle of a book writing it because I don't always know where they're going. It's like my characters are almost leading me through the story, which is kind of a weird thing to describe to someone who doesn't write. But um, the Emma book, I really didn't know when I started writing about this book, Spider going to dance class, I didn't really know where it was gonna go. Mm -hmm. It just starts unveiling itself as I go. The Pete the Bray was the one I think that really got me. Uh, I originally thought that book was gonna be about a spider who owned a bakery and i started writing it and i thought oh another spider book okay and <laughs> so i started writing it and i remember i went to panera one day to write and i just got a booth sat down got something to eat and started typing on my laptop and as i started writing i realized the book was not going to be about a spider it was about this little bug named pete who comes into the bakery and he ends up being the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the point where I realized what he was going to do to save all the other bugs, I broke down and cried because it was like just a few weeks after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. And during that shooting, there was one young man who stood and opened the door and held it open so that the kids could get out of the school faster. Mm -hmm. And he ended up getting injured. He was shot, but he didn't die. But at that moment when I got to the point in the book where Pete is rescuing everybody, I realized that was where that came from. It was in my subconscious and it came through that way. And I sat in Panera and cried. I remember the manager came over and goes, are you okay, ma'am? Okay. I'm like, I'm writing a children's book, it's okay. Um, I just am in a part that's got to me, but it got to me because I didn't set out to write a book about someone being brave and kind. I just thought, hey, I'm going to write this little story about this spider who owns a bakery. And if you read the book at the very beginning, it is a very much a description, the first two or three pages about the bakery and not about this little bug. So it's kind of interesting how it comes about. That's funny. Yeah, it's, you know, sometimes when we're working on something, we don't realize how it parallels what's in our subconscious until we get there or somebody points it out to us later. And we're like, right. oh, I didn't realize that's where it's where it came from. So when you're when you're writing a book, do you do you write like an outline first and then go in and fill it out or do you start writing? So let me preface that by saying I have written a uh, not published or anything, but I wrote a uh, a children's book that I'm still uh, trying to figure out how to do. Um, I've also written a um, screenplay and when I when I did the screenplay, I kind of outlined what I was doing roughly, just kind of a general idea. And then just kind of let the story come to whatever 
happens, you know? Mm -hmm. So when you're writing the shorter form, you know, children's books, do you do kind of an outline or just kind of give yourself, okay, I want a story about this and something's going to happen and just kind of let, let the story come out of you. So I attend an author's conference once a year and we talk about that there are people who are called plotters and those are the people who outline consistently and we have people who are called pantsers and that's people who fly by the seat of their pants. And I'm basically a pantser. I fly by the seat of my pants. And for most of my books, I do not have an outline. They're very organic and they just kind of flow. Mm -hmm. However, when I wrote the Cleo and Roger books, they had a I didn't necessarily have an outline. I had a map of where they were going to go and an order of how they were going to visit each of the architectural sites or each of the art sites. I had to do that because I couldn't haphazardly having them running all over the place if I wanted the children to follow the same path. So those I had a basic outline. For my book called The Red Coat, that was a true story that my mom told me. So that one, I just followed what she had said and I added little bits to it. So I didn't really have to have an outline, but it basically had an outline in my brain. Yeah. And then the one I've just written that has not been published yet, my daughter gave me the outline. <laughs> <laughs> I, <clears throat> When I wrote my last book, which is called I Llama You, and you is spelled E-W-E, mm-hmm. when I wrote that one, I was trying to add on to it and make it more than what it was because I wanted, I had a certain agenda in mind that I wanted to hit. And I always show my books to my daughters. One of them is an English major and one is a children's collection librarian. So they are awesome at helping me. Yeah. What a good and they will tell me if it's not good, they will say, mom, it's not good. And I asked my oldest daughter, I said, hey, take a look at this and tell me if I'm on the right track with this book. And she said, you're trying to, you're trying to force the story. And she said, don't do that. She said, your llama book is perfect the way it is. She said, don't force anything else into it. She said, what you're talking about needs to be a whole separate book. And then she goes, and then she named off three things. And that basically was my outline right there. She said, here's what you need to say, that this is, you know, the mother loves their child at these times. And I'm like, great. So I just sat and used her outline and wrote the book. But um that's great. That's really helpful to have uh, have that team in your back pocket to yes. review and, and give you feedback. So where did where did your your creativity and your passion come from? Is this something that you grew up with? I know you talked about when you had writing assignments in school. I also enjoyed those, but more so um, because I could just BS my way through it. And, get through <laughs> it. and if, if I can just write enough words, the teacher will go, okay, fine, I'll give him an A. But um, yeah. but did, did you come from, were your, were your parents creative? Did you come up with uh, where did this passion of yours come from? You know, I was thinking about that and I never really fully thought of my parents as being creative until I sit down to, to look at these questions. And I went, you know, my mom taught me how to embroider. So she had some creativity in her and she loved to make these baskets for people that had little gifts in them and be creative coming up with that. So I thought, well, she had creativity in her to a point. Um, my dad, I think the thing that he taught me was to be brave and trying to find your niche and being creative because he would go take like a painting class and he really didn't have the talent, but he tried it. It was like, I'm going to go try this and see if it works. And when I was going through and cleaning up their house after they passed, I found the painting that he did in his painting class. He kept it 
Mm-hmm. And it was nothing special, but I he was proud of, you know, trying it to yeah. be able to try it. So I think that those two things kind of helped me to learn to at least try different things and see where your creativity lies. Mm-hmm. I didn't really discover how creative I was until I was probably in my 40s. Like I knew I had creativity, but I really didn't think about it how much I had until then. And that was when I joined a dance group at church. And when I joined that class, like I said, I'm in my mid forties trying to do stuff that Mm -hmm. I never had done as a kid. I never took dance lessons as a kid. And it showed me that you're never too old to start something, to try something new. And I felt such joy when I did it. And I think that's what happens when I write too. I find great joy because I feel a connection with God, my creator, whenever I am being creative. And so that's when my creativity, I think I really realized that it was inside of me and I had so much, I just hadn't ever really discovered all the possibilities yet of what I like to do. Yeah. I love hearing that about your your dad and how you, you know, don't be afraid to try new things. And I think that's important for anybody listening that you know, if you want to try painting, try painting. You want to try dance, go try dance. Like, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. It's, you can be, you can put yourself in a very uh, vulnerable situation if you're, I'm going to go try to do this. And people will kind of go, you can't do that. Well, you know what? But I'm trying. And I'm going to go it's, see, you know, you don't know what you can do until you try it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because like I said, um, I started the dancing in my 40s. I didn't start writing a book until I was in my 50s. Um and in fact, with the dancing, I actually went on to do competitive dance and was winning trophies when I was like late 40s, early 50s. And the only reason I stopped doing that is, is because as you get older, you get repetitive strain injury. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. so I had to quit. But <clears throat> I still do it. I just don't compete anymore at it. But it was really fun, though, to show myself what I was capable of and what I could do and not to be afraid because I'm the old lady in the group that's with all these little girls, you know, I could still do it. But, you know, one thing leads to another, because if you weren't dancing, you wouldn't have had that spider fall on you and you would have come up with that idea. Exactly. You never know what could lead you to your next idea. So, Uh at least, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and try something new. Right. you, You talked about you liked writing when you were in school. Um, but was there any other like formal training for writing or is it mostly just trial and error, self-taught? I know you talked about also going to different workshops and things like that. Um, how much of it is just, you know, kind of trial and error and just kind of, you know, you, you know how to tell a story, you know, how much of it was learning or just knowing how to do it? Yeah, I think part of it is definitely that you have to have a little bit of storytelling talent. Mm-hmm. and know how to do that what whether it's orally or or written you kind of have to have some kind of a talent there in order to be able to write a story that people are going to want to read uh, but also though you can hone those talents even if they're just small you can hone them and make them better i took a lot of writing classes in high school and college because like i said i love to write yeah. and that was an easy way to get a good grade and so you know taking uh, creative writing classes was fun for me and I just loved doing it. 
I even took research paper in college and didn't have to because I like to write. And so, you know, I spent six months working on a paper because I love to do that kind of stuff. That's a little uh, different. That's a little different kind of writing. I could see taking creative writing, doing a research project. I, uh, maybe not. <laughs> but, well, but it, you know, like it's you a learn, way, yeah, learn a different tactic. Yeah. And it's a way to kind of stretch yourself too. And so, and I did, I took a lot of workshops and things when we would go to, um, when I followed Paul, when he was writing at first and I had not written anything yet, I would pay attention to what the writers were saying. You know, what were, what worked for them? What didn't, how could you make your writing better? Another thing that really will help you as a writer is to read, to be a prolific reader. When you can go read people who are, you know, your classics, like for me, like since I'm a children's writer, you know, I will read Dr. Seuss or Ezra Brown or somebody, you know, who's really a good writer and read what they've written because then you can see, well, okay, this is what people like to read. This is how it should sound. Mm -hmm. Because when you write for children, of course, it's a lot different than writing for adults. You have a different audience. You want to make sure that you're you're reaching them and that they find enjoy enjoyment in what they're reading. Yeah. Do you have any ambitions to write an adult book? Actually, I'm working on one. What happens is I start working on it. And as soon as I do, within two to three weeks, I will come up with an idea for a new children's book and I have to put it away again. But um, I am working on one. It is a devotional, inspirational kind of book. Mm -hmm. I'm taking stories of things that have happened to me and showing people like how to work through something that's difficult or maybe how to find, maybe they'll find inspiration from what I've written. So. I've got a really good start on it. I've got, I mean, doing fairly, fairly well with it. <laughs> you sound like a busy person, always, always writing, always coming up with ideas. So how did, I mean, I guess you've kind of answered this, but uh, how does your, you know, creativity, you know, uh, influence your everyday life? I mean, you're always, always have your eyes open, looking for new inspiration. And, you know, is there, do you, do you incorporate your creativity on a daily basis? Um, I try to because I find creativity all around me. So it might be, I may just go out and I may need flowers for something like to give to someone for you know a hospital stay or something. And instead of going and buying them, I'll use my creativity to save some money and I'll go get silk flowers and I'll create a bouquet and use that. Or maybe like during COVID, I needed greeting cards. And this was at the very first when we weren't allowed to go out, but I needed to send people cards. I got out my some of my supplies and made cards and sent them yeah. and wrote little messages in them. With my writing, I use it at work. So I belong to two different groups at work that are kind of like what I call extracurricular activities because, um, so I write for two groups at work. One is the disability inclusion group that I belong to because I have uh, hidden disabilities. And I write monthly articles on disability awareness. And those get published on our corporate website. And then everyone in the company has those and they can read them and learn more about disabilities. I also write for our Pride newsletter. And I'm also the project manager for that because I understand the writing process and how it works. And so I can guide other people to get their articles done, to help them out if they need help. But those are two ways that I just use my writing at work. Another thing I've used the writing for is I have started writing some liturgy for church. 
So during Advent, we wanted to give our pastor a little bit of a break so he didn't have to prepare everything. So three of us were writing liturgy for the services and we're gonna do the same thing for Lent. So that's a way that I can take my skills that I have, but I can take those and put them into everyday life and kind of like use my passions to help other people and to fill gaps and needs where where there are in life. Yeah, well, and I, I you mentioned um, making greeting cards, and that's something that as a graphic designer, I don't think I've bought a greeting card in the last fifteen years, because <laughs> unless I just needed one instantly. But you know, having that uh, that talent, it's like, well, I could I could go spend six bucks on a card, or I could just print one. I could make personal card, print it, fold it, and hand it to you, hand it to you anyways, because. You know, and it's and now it's personalized, and right, you might right. you might be more likely to keep it at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, we just look at it, look for the money inside doorway, anyways, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, do you do you have a favorite piece that you've created? Is there something that you look at and you kind of like, that's my favorite one. I love this because of you know X Y Z, or is it just kind of like picking your favorite child? It's kind of like picking your favorite child. It's really really hard. Um, I love each of my books in a different way. So it's, it is, it's kind of like your little children. And I will say when your box comes with your new book and it, you feel like you just got your baby in your hands, it's like, oh, you made this, this is so cool. Um, but yeah, I have a really hard time picking them because each of them speaks to me in a different way. Like the red coat is special to me because it's my mom, it's her story and of when she was growing up during the great depression so that one is important to me because of that some of them are important to me because they help or they kind of mirror what i've been through so i llama you is a book about diversity and inclusion and also self-worth this llama is trying to explain to the sheep that um they love her and she's going, but I'm a sheep and I'm short and fluffy and all this kind of stuff. And she's making up all these excuses. Mm. And you know, at one point in my life, I went through that of feeling like I wasn't worthy. And so that book's kind of special to me because of the fact that here's this little sheep who feels like the way I felt at one point. So yeah, they all kind of have a special place in my heart for one reason or another. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, that's kind of how I feel whenever I ask this question to anybody. I'm like, you have some things that are like, well, I mean, I kind of like this thing, but I like that thing. I, I have yet to find, uh, and I could be wrong, but I've yet to hear somebody go, yes, I have this one thing, my favorite, but usually it's <laughs> like, well, this one maybe. But, so who is it that, uh, where, who is it that can, or what, that continues to inspire you? That you, is there somebody you follow on Instagram, children's authors that you read, anything that still inspires you to continue to create, keep creating? It's really hard to pick one person. Um, because I find, well, I find inspiration in so many different things. I find it in the world around me, uh, when I'm walking everyday life, I'm inspired by literature, music, art, but as far as a person, like one person definitely would be, uh, my husband, Paul, because of the fact that he's already written some books and it inspired me to, when I started writing to know that I could do this. You know, he's he was encouraging me and helping me along the way, and I knew I could do this. Then I have a friend in Florida, Julie, who's a writer, and she is actually the person who, when I first started writing, I had met her in Wisconsin, and her name is Julie Woke, 
And I'd met her in Wisconsin at a writer's convention that Paul was going to speak at. Mm-hmm. And when I started, when I first started writing Emma, I called Julie and I said, Hey, I just wrote this children's book. Uh, what, how can you help? Can you help me at all? And she talked to me on the phone for over an hour, <laughs> helping this little novice writer, you know, who was just getting started to know what to do. And, you know, here's where you go. Here's how you send your manuscript in to publishers. And uh, this is something you might want to try. And I still find inspiration from her because I follow her on Instagram and Facebook. And in fact, one of her ideas that she was using for marketing her books, I picked up in December and I said, oh, I'm going to try this. And it like made my sales extremely great in December where I had not been selling as many. It was like, it just like exploded because of taking on her idea. And so I'm inspired by her because she's a really outgoing, sweet person. And she connects a lot with the children that she talks to, which is something I do as well. I really enjoy when I get to talk. And I think the children inspire me too. When I finally get to spend some time with the kids who are reading my books or I'm doing a program and I'm talking to them, just the feedback that they give me really inspires me to keep writing. In fact, I had a school program just last fall at a local school I went in and was talking to the children. And we always have a Q&A at the end where they can ask me whatever they want. And one of the children said, what's your favorite thing about writing? And I said, coming to see you. I said, that is my favorite thing. And because it is, uh, Paul often tells me that my, my books are great, but he said, your real passion is when you get to go speak at the schools and talk to the kids. He said, that is your real passion. He says, and that is where you really shine. And he's right. It's like, it's not that my writing's bad or anything, but when I can take what I write and I go into the schools and I start teaching these lessons to these kids in person, that is where I really just get charged up and I'll come home just like glowing because I'm so excited. Yeah, that's kind of fun to be able to, you know, see because there's so many times you write a book, you make a story or something and it goes, it just goes out into the world and you assume that other people see it, read it, like it, whatever. You don't get to see their reactions, but when you're actually there in front of them and you get to see their reaction and see what, how they you know are in, into your story and how they love your story and you know they're they're laughing at certain parts or you know they're they're worried if this you know spider's gonna make it or not you know so it it can really kind of give you that instant feedback that you know uh, that i hear kind of the uh, the difference between doing live theater and making a movie you know you make a movie you send it out to the theaters you hope people like it but you do live theater you get that instant feedback from the crowd and i can see where that can be appealing Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big inspiration. So we talked about you have a lot of things in the works, and we kind of touched on them. I don't know if there's anything specifically that is up and coming, something that um, you have a new book coming out or, or that just came out, something uh, that is coming soon. Do you have anything to work on now or anything in the future you could talk about? Um, I'm not really at the at this very present moment working on anything that I'm going to publish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working more on things for just like the liturgy and uh, articles for work and things like everyday, that. Everyday life. Yeah. Stuff. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I got kind of stopped a little bit in my writing and I do have the one that I'm waiting to get an illustrator and get that out. I'm excited about that one. I think that one's going to be 
amazing and I cannot wait to get it out. Um, when, when, you're, when you're writing a book for people who don't know how the children's story works, when you write the children's story, do you, do you have an illustrator in mind that you, you want to work with? Do you, is that up to the publisher? Is there, or is it both? What, how does that work? So <clears throat> it depends on who you use as a publisher. If you're with a big house publisher, they're going to assign an illustrator to it. And you basically, that's who you use. You don't have a choice. With my publisher, I have a smaller publisher where it's more um, trying to think. It's more like a. This may sound weird. Um, it's more like a buffet as far as I get to pick and choose what I like, and I actually have say in who the illustrator is. So. But when I'm writing, I'm generally not thinking about an illustrator right off the bat. I'm just trying to get the story down. Sometimes during the middle, I might think of somebody who might be good because I did that with this very last one. I actually thought of someone, but they didn't have the bandwidth to help me with it. But generally, I wait till the story's done and then I get an idea for what the story's like. And then I'm like, okay, this is how I want it to look on paper. And then I start looking for an artist because different artists have different styles and ways of drawing and you might like my Cleon Roger books are more comic book style mm -hmm. and my other ones are all but one I think are watercolor so they're a little different and actually watercolors like one of my favorite mediums <laughs> I love when the books look watercolored have, have, um, you ever, have you ever uh, thought about illustrating it yourself are you any good at drawing or illustrating no she's shaking her head no it's a it's an audio <laughs> podcast shaking your head no, no. <laughs> you no. um i can draw but not like that no mm -hmm. um because it's so important with children's books the illustrations are so important you want them to reach out and grab the audience mm -hmm. and i know people who do both writing and illustrating but for me I want someone who's a professional who has an immense skill in this area mm -hmm. to really make my books come to life. And I've been really blessed with my illustrators thus far. They've been people who are willing to work with me, uh, to listen to what my vision is. Because what I try to do is I try to make sure that I'm giving my illustrator some free reign with their creativity. I don't want to put them in a box and say, you have to do it this way. But I do still have a picture in my mind of what I kind of would like it to look like. So like my last book, I worked with um, a young man who had was an intern for me with a different book. And he came back into the, this last one for me for the I Llama U. And we worked on several iterations of the llama, like what's it gonna look like? And he would draw different ones and send them to me. And we would, we finally got it down to where we liked one, but we were like, hey, can you make his ears look more like this and change his little tuft of hair on the top? And can he be this color? And so, you know, little things like that. And he was awesome to work with. He even came down, we had the book completely finished. And I could tell there was something that was different about it that wasn't quite grabbing me, but I didn't know what it was because I'm not an artist. Mm -hmm. And he came down to me like right before he was getting ready to send all the drawings to the publisher and said, hey, I just wanted to ask, 
would you prefer red line or black line? And I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know what that is. I said, can you send me a, just one picture with the two of them so I can see the difference? Mm -hmm. And he meant the outline around the characters. And, and he had originally drawn it with a red outline around the characters. And that was what I was noticing that was, to me, was throwing the pictures off for me. Yeah. But I never knew how to articulate that these don't look exactly like what I thought. Mm -hmm. But when he put the black line in, I was like, oh my gosh, please put the black line in because it makes all the colors pop. Yeah. And because it's a very pastel book. And so with the black line, it just made it pop. But I was so grateful that he didn't just do it the way, you know, he had thought to do it. He actually said, hey, I'm thinking I need to ask you, what do you prefer? So I've been really blessed to have artists who take the time to come back to me and check with me on things and make sure that I'm okay with it. And I've learned in the process over the last seven years, um, how to work with my illustrators and give them encouragement, how to tell them nicely what I like and what I don't like. Right. So it's been, it's also been a growth thing for me. And, and I think it has made them want to work with me more because like I said, this young man, he's done two books for me now. And he actually came back to me and said, can I do another book for you? Mm -hmm. So I knew then I thought, okay, I am dealing well with them if they're coming back to me. It's, it's nice to have somebody that wants to collaborate with you. That, yes. that you like working with as well, that mm -hmm. you work so well together. Mm -hmm. It is. If uh, if anybody is interested, like one more question, don't go away. Uh, <laughs> if anybody's interested in learning more about Kimberly Hoffman and the books that she's written, uh, you can go to KimberlyHoffmanBlog.wordpress.com or find her on Facebook at Kimberly, uh, Kimberly Hoffman Author. Um, or Kim, I'm sorry, Kimberly S. Hoffman Author. And, or uh, Twitter at Spider Author, which is okay. easy to remember because you're the spider lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the final <laughs> question that, uh, that I ask everybody is if you're speaking to a class of creatives, um, what kind of advice would you give them as they uh, go forth on their creative journey? So I would say, don't be afraid to follow your dream. Whether it's uh, diving in and you make this your full-time career, or if you're like me and it's you're working a day job while pursuing your dream, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Just pursue what works for you. And also remember that when you're working in the creative realm, don't get so caught up in the mechanics of it that you lose sight of your creativity. Let the creativity flow and get the words on the paper, sketch out your painting or put your feet to the floor and experiment in that creative realm. And then once you get the basics down, then you can start to polish it. And the last thing I would say is keep your eyes open because there's magic, enchantment and creativity all around us just waiting for us to discover it. Absolutely. Well, and, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with the, we've talked about this before on previous podcasts of, of um, previous episodes of don't get stuck and stupid on the mechanics. Like don't, you can drive yourself crazy of trying to figure out the absolute right way to do this. And I know I did that for a long time when I started painting where I was so worried about how do I paint with acrylics? Like, I want to know the techniques. I want to know what paintbrush to use. I want to, and it's, at the end of the day, it just took me just doing it. To kind of figure out how to do it, and the same thing with with writing or with uh, with music or whatever it might be, just get started. Don't worry about being a perfectionist. You 
what's the I'm going to mess up the the quote. Um, you don't have to be a perfect. You don't have to be perfect to start, but you have to start to become perfect. And mm -hmm. so, like, just get out there and and try to do something and try to be creative. And um, you never know what you're capable of. Right. Exactly. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I appreciate your time and look forward to many more books from you. Thank you. I appreciate you asking me to come. Each week on Create, Talk, Repeat, I want to leave you with some creative task or inspiration, something to get your creative juices flowing. Today, I want you to think of the scariest, most frightening creature you can think of. It might be a snake, a hungry lion, or like Kimberly spoke about in this episode, a spider. Now think of a story that would make this creature not so scary. Maybe that snake has a toothache and has to see a dentist. What if that hungry lion was a vegetarian and didn't want to eat with the rest of the pride? Maybe you meet a spider that wanted to learn how to dance. Oh wait, that one's taken. Nevertheless, find that creature. Make it warm and cuddly. Give it a name and a nice story. Let your mind be creative. I hope this helps you on your creative journey. Thanks for listening to Create, Talk, Repeat. Create Talk Repeat is a Brenton Creative production. Created and hosted by me, Dustin Brenton. Development and brainstorming assistance by Darren Caldwell. Music by Creative Culture. Follow us on Facebook at Create Talk Repeat or visit our website at createtalkrepeat.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.